Welcome to Covered, a health insurance podcast by the Montana and Mountain Health Co-op. Purchasing health insurance can be complicated, expensive, and downright intimidating. We're the world's first podcast designed specifically for you, the individual, family, or business looking to make the important decision on quality health insurance, told through the stories of our members and insurance experts. If you're looking for answers about insurance opportunities in Montana and Idaho and seek some inspiration along the way, we've got you covered. Hey everyone, this is your host, Kyle, and we're so excited to welcome you to episode one, season one of the Health Co-op Podcast Covered. In this episode, we interview Richard Miltenberger, CEO and president of the co-op, and we talked before the episode with Richard about some of his early jobs sweeping sidewalks and hauling inventory in a warehouse. And we pick up the interview as Richard explains how 40 years later, He's one of the leading voices in nonprofit healthcare and where the idea for a health co-op originated. If you're wondering what differentiates the co-op from other insurance companies, this episode is for you. We're live on Covered, and we're here with Richard Miltenberger. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kyle. Richard is the CEO president of the co-op, and we're really thrilled to have you here. Where along this path did... Um, health insurance become part of your world? You know, um, it, it kind of came in the blood. My dad was in the health insurance business Okay. Uh, uh, before I was born and all when I was raised. So I, I kind of heard about it around the kitchen table. And uh, as I was coming out of college, I had uh, some other, other thoughts in mind, but he was actually at the time had uh, prostate cancer. And so he asked uh, if, because I knew something about his business, if I'd be willing to come and join him at least for a period of time. And that ended up being uh, 40 years now. 40 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so here you are with the co-op. And how long have you been with the with the co-op? You know, that's that's a more complicated question. I mean, yeah. I, I, I've, I've been an employee of the co-op. I've been uh, president of the co-op for about a year and three months. Okay. But uh, early on, when it first got started, uh, we had a founding board before the organization had any funds, when we were just kind of a, a nascent uh aspirational group of people wanting to start a nonprofit health insurance company in Montana. That was back in 2010. So I was on that founding okay. board for uh, about four years. Four years. Um, the goal, a nonprofit health insurance. What stemmed, where did that idea come from and, and why? Why does the world need a, a nonprofit health insurance? You know, we, we, um, uh, we're, we're committed to the idea of, uh, of nonprofit because we, we view what's happening in healthcare as uh, really a, a national disaster. I mean, we talk about national disasters, whether it's a big hurricane or an earthquake, uh, it might cost many billions of dollars. Well, think about healthcare in America. We're spending 18 cents out of every dollar on healthcare. In Europe, they're spending 11 cents, 10 cents of every dollar with, with very high quality healthcare. Something's gone wrong. Uh, we think that a part of that is a combination of uh, kind of a train coming from the east, which is the need for health care, and a train coming from the west, which is a profit motive, and those trains have collided. We have a train wreck in health care. And um, we think the profit motive, uh, while it may be good for the economy, whether you're you know, making cars or, or uh, publishing books, what have you, in health care, it, it takes uh, the uh, – it's like you have a, a, a compass – that uh, has lost its magnetism and it's just spinning around. People mm-hmm. don't know which direction to head, and it takes all the uh, all the reason for human well-being out of what should be a business that revolves around human well-being. Right. You mentioned the spinning compass and these 
trains collide. Yes. We're putting this podcast together for the people that might feel like I am at the intersection or I'm at the epicenter of this collision yeah. or I'm riding on this compass wheel that is spinning. Uh, and so where does where does a co-op uh, help alleviate or reduce the uh, impact of that crash? And, you know, when we talk to people and say, you know, let's talk about the co-op, um, they might say, what does it mean to be member-owned and why is that? important and why is that going to change things or what's what's the end goal there you know it just changes everything um yeah you know we're we are we are member governed we have a board of directors made up it's 17 people made up almost exclusively of our members and they're elected by our members in fact we have an election going on in september for new board members we have some great people that have uh, been nominated um mm-hmm. and it's a contested election and and what this means is that you don't have a stale board of people that kind of appoint their successors after they get tired of being on the board. So you have this very inward looking thing. We have a board that is is made up of, of the same people that are writing checks every month for mm. healthcare and for our premium. And and they demand excellence. They demand the phone to be answered when they call. You're paying a lot of money for this stuff. You ought to get quality in terms of service. But yeah. but there's another component that is the pricing and, and how much the dollars are going to pay for uh, you know, whether it's executive bonuses or a shiny new office building or whatever it might be, where is the money going? Is it going for the health care that I'm trying to get or is it going for overhead? Mm-hmm. And so that's, uh, I'm not sure I answered your question, Kyle, but that's that's what I would say is the distinctive of our organization is that we are committed to the people that are paying the premium, not to, uh, uh, you know, uh, delivering profits to Wall Street. It, it does seem like the motives uh, or the incentives are sort of reversed for a co-op, which is, it seems like a healthy, healthy balance. Um, when, when we talk about, uh, you know, the Green Bay Packers, member owned or fan owned, um, it feels a little different than a co-op. And when I think about healthcare and, you know, we walked into the door today and I saw affordable healthcare. Um, can you talk about costs a little bit? And just you mentioned, you know, twelve cent or was it eighteen cents of every dollar in America on, in spent America, on healthcare? Yeah, spent on healthcare, and why that's happening? Yeah, and there, there's some dynamics here. I want to be careful uh, for the listeners. Um, we exist as a, as a health co-op. We exist in a ecosystem that is much much bigger than ourselves, mm-hmm. and we're trying to navigate a way for our members to. Uh, survive and thrive from a health standpoint in that ecosystem. Uh, it is not possible like turning on a light where you flip the switch and just change everything. There are some dynamics in our healthcare system that are broken that we're trying to fix. And, and one example of that would be primary care. So if you go to European countries where there's excellent health care and affordable cost, uh, and everybody kind of points to England, uh, and England has a, a system that the people of England like, but it's very different from Germany, Holland, France, Italy. Mm-hmm. Most of Europe is private health care, uh, whereas in the UK and in England, it, it, it is actually government employees providing that care. And so we say, well, it's European, it's socialist. Well, not really. In Holland, they don't have socialized medicine. But what they do have is they have a system where physicians are encouraged to go into primary care. Mm-hmm. And so in most of Europe, about two out of three docs are primary care physicians. They're not invasive care specialists that only make a living if they have a scalpel in their hands. Right. So what ends up happening in our country 
uh, is it's kind of like if the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer, all of a sudden everything looks like a nail. Sure. And so if you end up being immediately referred to an orthopedic surgeon, there's a higher likelihood that you're going to have an orthopedic surgery than if you stay with your primary care physician a little longer, they work with you, you get some physical therapy, uh, make sure that you you're promptly get the proper medications to reduce inflammation, and try all the alternatives first. So we have one of the highest rates, well, the highest rate in the world in this country of orthopedic surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that is wonderful, and some of it is uh, just ends up leaving scar tissue that ends you, it, it lands you in the same spot you were before. Yep. So again, not to pick on orthopedics or dermatology or any of the specialists. We need them all, and they're all uh, great people. I know a lot of them. But we just, in our country, we depend on the specialty end of the spectrum instead of the primary care. That would change everything to just move the dynamic. And that's something we're working hard to do is is get people into the primary care offices. So for folks that are listening and saying, that sounds great. Um, This is a model that I can get behind. Um, And for some of them, they might be underinsured or uninsured. Before they, you know, enroll or sign up during the open enrollment, what what advice would you have for them as they're looking at health insurance options? Because there there are some choices when you when you go to enroll, um, and I think the co-op has done a great job of removing themselves from that Excel spreadsheet that is well. Let's look at costs and let's look at the gold plan and the silver plan, but there's more to it as you've described. But what advice would you have for someone at step one where they're underinsured or uninsured, and they're saying this this might be a viable option? You know, uh, Kyle, I, I would say that uh, first off, to kind of hit one issue uh, square in the head, yeah. pretty much everybody in our country at this point is underinsured. And what I mean is the deductibles are too high. The mm-hmm. out-of-pockets are too high. We have people that are uh, hardworking Americans making $20 an hour who, uh, you know, end up overnight in the hospital and their out-of-pocket is five, six, seven thousand dollars And, and oh, yeah. by the way, if they're chronically ill, they owe physicians and hospitals for services they received last year. And now they've got a whole new deductible to meet. Yeah. And so a lot of our friends and neighbors uh, uh, are people that are in debt to the medical system, even though they're insured. Even so, though they have a plan. Even though they have a plan. Yeah. So, so, yeah, a lot of underinsured people, even those that are insured, but what I would suggest is that um, you really look at your needs and, and what your needs might be, even if you're not currently uh, using the medical system. If you're eligible for, uh, I don't want to get too wonky or too in the weeds here, but but there's a gold plan, a silver plan, and a bronze plan uh, that are available under the Affordable Care Act. That's how most people that are individuals are getting their coverage. And when, when you go to look at those, the silver plan, depending on your household income, Actually, it's like a chameleon that changes colors as it goes across the mm. carpet. So a, a silver plan is not a silver plan is not a silver plan. There, It says silver, but right. it's really a nomenclature, a naming issue, I think, for people because they say, well, it's silver, isn't it? Well, it depends. If your income is 200% of the poverty level, which is frankly uh, where a lot of uh, folks in Montana and Idaho are, if it's 200% of the poverty level, that silver plan has a much lower out-of-pocket expense, lower deductibles, et cetera. And you may be eligible for that, and it, it, it might cost a little more. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at the total out-of-pocket for your household, if you're spending a little more on the insurance, but you've got a much lower out-of-pocket when you go to the hospital, 
it, it may well pay for itself. So sure. I encourage people not to just quickly say, well, bronze is the least expensive. I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. Instead, to look step back and say, hey, maybe maybe I need to see what the silver plan has to offer. So again, a little bit in the weeds there, but I'd say that's the primary mistake that most buyers yeah. make. No, I think that's I think that's really helpful because there are no two exact uh, people aren't coming to this to these plans in the exact same situation. Everybody's right. life is changing, and um, yeah. your healthcare needs are of course different. Um, can you share with us a story of a member in your short time here in the last year or so that that just made an impact on you and somebody that maybe you talked to or heard about that you know this. This mission, this thing that we set out to do in 2010, was it that you yeah. set out and said, "This is the the the, the spin wheel is flying." We're, you know, we're I, figuring I, things uh, out. I, I, somebody does come to mind. Uh, we have uh, board meetings uh, every uh, three months, and every year we have a board meeting that is uh, open to our members to come. Mm. And so we uh, we have members that do come, and they should come. I encourage them to. So we had a a lady who came and. Uh, and her son has a severe and kind of rare allergy condition, so he has to go to an allergist. Mm-hmm. And um, they had ended up in a situation where their physician had left, and they were having to start a new uh, a type of treatment. And it was possible by going outside of our network to to access uh, a continuation of the old treatment, so that her 16-year-old son would not have to kind of start over at zero. Because mm. uh, these are, uh, you know, having to go into a doctor's office every week and right. get a shot, and it kind of builds the immunity up, and so it'd be like starting over. Yeah. And um, so she came and explained her situation, and it's one of those deals where if you read the policy, if you read the contract, it's kind of like we were right, the insurance company was right, she was wrong, mm-hmm. but being able to hear her story and understand what the circumstances were, not only would it be better for her son, but it would actually save the plan. It would save us money. It just was like, sometimes by following the rules, you end up in these strange places. Yeah. So uh, that was a situation where someone was able to speak to us. We heard it. We got our medical director look into it. It all made sense. Yeah. And so we're trying to take that listening mechanism so you don't have to come to a meeting in Hello, <laughs> right. Montana, right. but instead, you know, uh, we can hear you through through the available channels of, of calling and having the calls elevated yep. and making sure that we catch these problems in midair and, yeah. and, and not have it caught by somebody that's – because obviously we are an insurance company, so you have a lot of employees who are trained to follow the rules. Sure. And, and, and yet sometimes the rules are – they don't make sense in a given circumstance. I'm not sure if that's a good example. No, that's a very powerful story yeah. because it, it does show the, the humanized factor of the co-op, um, that there are rules and regulations that some of the larger firms out there, they might not understand. Um, they might not ever get a chance to hear from that person because right. there is no board meeting that they can show up to and sit with everybody that's making the decisions. And um, Yeah, that's really powerful. So, Richard, we're going to pivot now. Yeah. Into four questions that we're going to be asking every guest. Um, and so question one, can you describe an experience that you had in your career dealing with health insurance or choosing a plan or maybe your first job that, you know, you had your own independent or your own health insurance and just uh, what was that experience like? 
you know, uh, back uh, in my 20s, uh, my wife and I took a job in Chicago. And uh, this was the heady days of managed care and HMOs in the late 80s. So I was working for an employer, and they ha- had uh, six different options that we could choose from. And, and by the way, I love that alternative. So most employers uh, in rural America today, they pick one insurance company. It might be the health co-op. It might be a Blue Cross. It might be any number of companies. What a great idea to instead let your employees choose and offer all of them. But that used to actually be common huh. for large companies uh, in larger cities. And it's just, it's I, I think it's something that we need to have a comeback. So if you're an individual buying coverage, you get to pick. But if yeah. you're an employee, your employer gets to pick. I don't think that's a very smart idea. Anyhow, so I got to yeah. pick. And um, I had to choose between a physician group that was uh, not very close by our home, but the co-pays were lower, et cetera, and choose between one that had more doctors available but was uh, you know, a little more affordable, a little less out of my, my paycheck, but much higher deductibles. And so it was nice. We, My wife and I sat down and uh, we were actually uh, thinking about another child uh, who has since, of course, now graduated college. This was a few years ago. Sure. And so we uh, chose the plan that had the lower co-pays. We paid a few more pennies out of my paycheck, mm-hmm. and we had to drive, you know, extra mile to the doctor. But we were very pleased with that plan. Yeah. You probably felt empowered, too. Like, hey, yes. we've got to make this decision and, and go mm-hmm. and go with that. Yeah. So we talk about Mountain Health, Montana Health. Yes. Um, what does mountain health style, lifestyle mean to you? You know, um, for me, we, we like to think of our plan as, as one that has kind of come out of the soil almost. And that yeah. we had local people here in Montana. Uh, we formed Montana Health Co-op for the people here because we're all people that wanted a, a different and better and nonprofit alternative. Uh, we had some people in Idaho approach us, and we ended up in a process where we expanded to Idaho. Using the name Montana Health in Idaho doesn't make a lot of sense, so mm-hmm. we're, we're now Mountain Health Co-op yeah. uh, to those folks, and we'll use that name interchangeably. But uh, to me, it, it the, the lifestyle, Kyle, I guess, would represent uh, you know what people expect to find in our part of the country, which is um, you know a cooperative existence where we're depending upon one another. You know, if you live in a rural community, you can't you can't be as isolated as you might in Los Angeles or New York or uh, even uh, even a, a, a community like uh, Dallas, Texas, with a couple mm-hmm. of million people. You can you can isolate yourself. But if you're in a rural community, you you become interdependent. You know, we think of rugged individualism, but really there's a lot of interdependence in this part of the country. Yeah. There's electric co-ops. There's electric phone company, you know, uh, there's, uh, pardon me, um, there are phone companies that are co-ops in these rural communities. Yeah. Uh, but we also have in some of the larger communities, food co-ops. And just the idea of saying, hey, we're going to be in this together. We're, we're not going to allow our resources to simply, you know, we're not going to be used as a place for people in New York to make profits, but instead we're going to look to ourselves to solve these problems. So uh, I, I think that's part of what it's about. It's kind of like saying, hey, we're going to keep our resources here and we're going to keep our people here. We're going to be interdependent on each other mm-hmm. and not dependent on somebody from, you know, six states away telling us what healthcare ought to look like. Right. Yeah, that's powerful. What would you say is a hobby you participate in that puts you at the most risk of needing to use your health insurance? Uh, skiing. Skiing. Yeah. I yeah. do some cross-country skiing, but that's not very risky. But the downhill skiing 
Uh, I didn't learn to ski till I was 40 years old. And so I'm not very good, but I, (laughs) but I don't always recognize that. And so it just is so exciting to get a little speed up and, and then all of a sudden I think, oh my gosh, you know, oh crap, where am I going to go with this? Well, cross country skiing can sometimes turn into downhill skiing unintentionally. Unintentionally. And that can be uh, probably more dangerous than regular downhill. When your heel is released, um, that gets risky. Uh, And finally, other than um, the co-op, what are some other ways that uh, you see being important to just make an impact on your community in a positive way? You know, uh, as an organization here, we we have attempted to get involved with um, what I'm going to call true nonprofits. Now, we're a nonprofit, but we're kind of an institutional nonprofit. You wouldn't write a check as a charity and say, hey, I want to donate this. Sure. So that you'd write us a premium check and buy your insurance from us. Yeah, join co-op. Right. We'll, it's a different yeah. kind of nonprofit. We think it's important that we support the uh, what I would call charitable nonprofits here in, in the state. Uh, the One of the ones that we take a lot of interest in and we've been a long-term contributor is the, the YWCA. Uh, Great. And they, um, they provide uh, a wonderful resource, the stories that you hear coming out of there. It's just a place where people, uh, women, can seek refuge uh, when they're in... Uh, uh, abusive situations, or perhaps they find themselves uh, might not be a might not be a, a guy that's pushed them out. Might be a mom who said, "Look, mm. I need you out of here," and so they find themselves uh, needing a place to stay. And it's just a cool, cool uh, place where you not only get resources like shelter and food, but also counseling and some job skills. And so we're very proud to partner with those folks. Yeah, that's great. That's impacting the community in an extremely positive way. So yeah. Well, thanks for your work uh, here at the co-op, and thank you for being guest number one on our cover podcast. Thank you. Yeah. We really appreciate it, and I think this episode will provide tremendous value to people who are just getting started in their sort of health insurance search or wondering, well, what is the health co-op all about? So thanks again. Kyle, thank you.